And I just love to see through through this period where we do have an opportunity to have more guests from the city coming down um, to Wollongong in particular. Um, just really want to see it help put us all on the map a little bit more. Um, and I think we've got a unique opportunity at the moment with no international travel to really um, make that happen. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. During the series, we've spoken to regional operators who are experiencing a real boom as consumers head for the hills in lieu of heading abroad. We've discussed how restaurants in our capitals have been crippled by a lack of workforce in the CBDs. But what of our large regional cities with big populations, but in some manner still considered regional, like Newcastle and Wollongong in New South Wales? Andy Burns is the co-owner of Babyface Kitchen and Two Smoking Barrels in Wollongong. Andy, how are you going? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good, thanks for joining us. Uh, Wollongong's a pretty big city and um, we often forget about how, how big it is with um, Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, sort of our large centres. What's, uh, what's the food scene there like just at this moment? Uh, it's definitely gotten better in the last... I mean, we've been open uh five years now at babyface five years next march um it's definitely gotten better lots of small bars around the place now and um there's definitely a good spot to kind of get one of everything if you know what i mean good burger joints etc um progressing all the time really yeah the pandemic has impacted many of our capitals but where Australia is almost COVID-free compared to many countries in the world what, what, what was it like in Wollongong uh, when the pandemic first landed? I mean, I'm sure you've heard it from everyone, but it was it was just eerie and a whole lot of unknown for us. Um, and everything was just, just went so quiet, obviously with everything being closed, the streets were so quiet and um, we all just had to flip what we were doing. So it was, it was definitely a stressful time. But um, I'll tell you what, I think it was... At the end of the day, after through all the stress, it was kind of the break. The break I didn't really know that I needed. <laughs> um, after going, you know, you push so hard for so long. Um, but yeah, we're definitely back into it now, um, and I think we're really lucky as a country, as a whole, um, and the support we've had from the government is definitely. Well, for us personally, it's definitely got gotten us over the line and back back pushing again. You just briefly mentioned that it was the break that you didn't realise you needed. Can you take us back to that time and and why you've realised that you needed a break and, and what sort of impact that had on you? Um, I think for me personally, like I, I'm pretty hands-on um, in the business and in the kitchen at, at Babyface every day. Uh, we're a small team. So I'm a big part of that, that team as far as prep and service. Um, so my days are pretty, pretty massive and jam-packed. Um, also trying to contribute to running two businesses, um, social media, et cetera. So it's all pretty intense and stressful. Um, <laughs> and I think you get into a routine and you just, you just keep doing and doing and doing. Um, and as I said, it was pretty stressful when lockdown first happened. We didn't know, we didn't know what was going to become of 
both of our businesses. I don't think anyone knew, not just our industry, but all industries, what was going to become of a lot of small businesses. Um, but once once we realised we were going to get some support and we got through that, I I definitely um, was a lot less stressed and working a lot less. Uh, we were only doing, at first, we were just baking bread and selling our culture butter and a few other things that we make at the restaurant um, and selling uh, wine. We just flipped it into a, a wine shop. Um, we kind of did that within we, – we, we were only closed for two days uh, after March 23rd and then we were selling – we were just baking um, baking bread and uh, we had – you know, we'd do some really lovely cultured butter at the restaurant um, and we had produce boxes from some of our, our suppliers down here which was really nice to be able to sell some of their stuff. Um, and yeah, we just, we just flipped it as best we could. And then it was, once we'd done all that, like to answer your original question, once we'd done all that, like that's when I kind of really took a load off and, and took a couple of days a week for myself, which was, which was nice <laughs> after the, all the stress, of course. <laughs> you operated at a pretty high level in regards to restaurants in Wollongong. What, what's some of the challenges in a market of that size doing what you do? It's definitely taken um, a few years for us to be able to do exactly what we wanted to do from the start. Um, I feel like we had to definitely ease everyone into it um, down here a little bit. Uh, it's, it's As I said in your first question, it's definitely gotten a lot better over the last five years. Um, and we've, we've got a pretty interesting wine list and a pretty interesting um, menu definitely for down here, uh, would be more commonplace in Melbourne or Sydney, but definitely not in Wollongong. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely had its challenges, mate, to, to get people used to what we do and, um, and be, I guess, generally accepting of it, probably more so the wine than the food. Um, we've, we've got a pretty, yeah, as I said, pretty interesting wine list, but it's definitely a lot of small producers within the, um, natural minimal intervention wine world uh, which is which is pretty popular now but we've been lucky enough to develop some really good relationships with um, with some really great small producers uh, within Australia um, and we're very lucky to get get wine off them being a, being a very short list of um, of restaurants and suppliers that can get wine off these guys so that that's developed over over the time, but um, but yeah, just getting people around to our our way of thinking with the <laughs> with the wine was definitely a challenge when people are just used to certain um, certain varietals or you know they they like to drink what they drink and and Wollongong is a big small town man, <laughs> so so it comes with uh, that mentality sometimes. You're very particular about the standard of produce that you use and set a really mean example of that. What's it like in that region for produce and, and what sort of access do you have to quality produce there? Um, it's, it's actually really good. There's so many, so many great um, small producers around here. Uh, we deal with a couple in particular um, as far as farmers. Um, one, uh, one producer we use is Moonacres Farm in um, uh, Fitzroy Falls up near Robertson, so in the Southern Highlands, where uh, 
we're not actually getting anything off them at the moment. Just it's just a bit of a logistical nightmare for them um, at the minute. But we will we'll get back to it. Um, but their their produce, Phil and the team up there, their farm is amazing. It's it's just so beautiful, and his his love for the soil and um, the way he grows things is just second to none. Um, and it's the same. I don't know if you know Erica and Hayden from Epicurean Harvest in uh, Little Hartley, just through the Blue Mountains. Um, we've been getting produce off off those guys for a few years now as well. Um, they're obviously not not so close to us, but they I just developed a bit of a relationship with them, and I've been up there to visit them a couple of times um, as it's on the way to to my my hometown. Um, so we pop in and see them, and yeah, we've been lucky enough to be on a very short list of people. Um, restaurants that that are able to access their produce as well. So, uh, where yeah, I just consider us super lucky. I mean, seafood and meat. Our seafood and meat comes out of Sydney at the moment um, from Costa at uh, Martin Seafood and and from Anthony at the team at Vix Meats. Um, but as far as as far as fresh fresh produce down here, there are lots of other small farms down here that that grow. Um, and do supply to restaurants. It's all. It is a bit of a challenge sometimes. You have to be able to switch your menu up pretty quickly to use these guys, um, even even weekly sometimes, depending on what what they've got. Um, because believe it or not, you know things <laughs> contrary to the way our supermarkets function, um, things are seasonal, <laughs> and they don't have ev- they don't have everything all the time. Um, but yeah. We definitely uh, are pretty lucky down here. You know, we've got the escarpment on one side of us and the ocean on the other. So we do a, we do a little bit of foraging for sea greens and stuff rather than buying them off our seafood producer just because we can. Um, you know, five minutes from the restaurant, we can go and pick sea lettuce and samphire and sea blight and, and saltbush and um, all those types of things. So, yeah, it's it's pretty lucky down here considering we're only, you know, we're only an hour and hour and 10, hour and 15 from from George Street in the city. Can you take us into the kitchen? You mentioned, you know, how different the wine list is there compared to other restaurants in Wollongong. And and also it took you a couple of years to be able to deliver what you wanted to deliver with the restaurant. Can you give us an idea of some dishes of what you're doing there in the kitchen? Uh, at the moment on our set menu, um, our snacks, my wife sometimes tells me to, dial it back a little bit because they can get pretty weird um <laughs> but but she also she also understands that i mean i think it's what it is for us is we have an idea and then and then i like i don't want people to come in oh, i want them to think it's weird you know and then taste it and have there be some t- some familiarity or nostalgia to it for them um and then they you know they start their meal there and then they become more comfortable um but at one of our snacks at the moment, for instance, was kind of born through COVID. We, we were doing a Sunday bake sale through COVID, um, which was hilariously busy, um, way too busy for us. We, <laughs> we didn't know what we got ourselves into. But one of the um, – we were doing some Portuguese tarts and we kind of had an idea to do uh, like a boudin tart. So we're just using a mixture of pig's blood, pig's blood, brown rice, and then like inoculated rice – uh, koji um 
with a few other ingredients in there, some sake and a few other tasty things. And then we bake, the idea was to bake the blood in the Portuguese tart pastry the same way you do a Portuguese tart at a really high heat in the oven. Um, and that came out amazing. We were, we were really stoked. It just worked the first time. It's one of those things, you know, sometimes you have ideas and they just, it goes the other way and they just completely don't work. But, uh, <laughs> um, and you kind of think to yourself, what, <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, but so, yeah, we served that with a bit of a, like a lacto-fermented tomato sauce. Um, so it's basically like a, it's like what the tastiest sausage roll we've ever had kind of thing. Um, so we've got on our snack plate, we've got that and we have uh, some spanner crab with an oyster emulsion and some herbs and lemon and that's on a little uh, chickpea cracker. Um, it kind of looks like a bit chuli kind of thing. Um, and then we have some, oh, the other one kind of rotates a little bit. Um, but at the moment, it's some sort of semi-dehydrated um, Wagyu hanger with a fresh fresh wasabi cream and just a couple of little flowers from uh, Erica and Hayden at Epicurean. And then we finished that with a palate cleanser of um, cucumber macerated in shiso and mint with some whipped buffalo yogurt and green ants. So it's like cucumber, green ants and mint. Uh, so that, yeah, to start the meal, that kind of all goes out and I guess – but yeah, Jen, my wife, reminds me sometimes that it's probably maybe a little bit weird to some people. But <laughs> but I think I don't know. Isn't that the idea of what we do? Like if you if you don't want weird, go somewhere normal, I guess. <laughs> go and go and have fish and chips. I don't know. <laughs> but um, and then yeah, the meal just progresses from there. Um, we kind of work our way through another what is it four four courses with bread and sides. Um. Uh, on to pre-dessert and dessert. You've been a part of the Wollongong culinary scene for a while and you've worked in multiple restaurants. Why Wollongong? Well, I was I think I was maybe 23 at the time and um, living regionally out in Mudgee and I'd kind of, you know, got worked through my apprenticeship, which was four years back then and then worked at another place and, I'd, you know, there wasn't much out there at that point. There was only a couple of a couple of good restaurants and um, the general progression from people out that way tends to be Wollongong or Newcastle because there's a university in both places um, and and they're, like I said before, they're, they're big little towns, man, so they're not too big. But it was just, yeah, my girlfriend at the time was coming down for uni and um, I just decided to jump in and make the move. Um, and I just, yeah, haven't haven't left. <laughs> met met my now met my now wife here about ten years ago, and she's from Thoreau originally on the in the northern suburbs. Um, yeah, so just just never left. Dug in, I guess. Tell us about some of those venues that you work you worked at, like uh, Lee and Me, uh, Dagwood, Diggies. Um, what was the culinary scene like in those days there? Then, definitely, like we've always had Caveau. Um, the, which is now now closed, but that was the the one had a down here for I think fifteen years in total. Um, and when I moved down here, I um, went pretty much straight to to Diggies because it was kind of the I think just the busiest place. And I didn't really I kind of just thought I'll just slot in somewhere and do a bit of work. And then um, the guys that opened Lee and Me, um, which has now been you know it's a Wollongong institution, has been there for about. I think two, 
2007 we opened there, so that's how long they've been there for, yeah. Um, they were working at Diggies and approached me to to open it with them and, and run it for them, so I, I joined the team there. They had a pretty cool vision um, and they're, they're really lovely people as well, um, which is, you know, test, testament to them and, and how hard they've worked uh, in the area and, and they were really the first kind of small cool cafe that was very coffee focused down here um which was kind of a sign of the times back then i think the coffee was moving forward pretty quickly um so i jumped in on that and i did three years with them and then stan and aaron um the diggies guys they approached me to come back there and and run that for them and they were opening a second venue which was dagwood at the time um which was again probably the most kind of funky forward thinking um, bar slash Asian street food vibe thing getting around in Wollongong at the time. So, but that was, um, yeah, Diggy's on the beach there is a, a sort of beachside cafe, nighttime restaurant through summer. It really doesn't do it justice. That place is a, is a beast of its own. It's, it's, yeah, it's very, very busy, very busy place. So it was a, great learning curve for me um being able to manage uh at, at one stage they had three venues so i was looking after menus and staffing and rostering and everything for all, all of those as the executive chef and that's um we, i did that for i think about four years over that time with them um which was just a massive learning curve for me in how to actually run a venue and and manage you know i think they had about 90 staff at, at one point. Um, so that's, yeah, to be to be managing that many chefs and, um, I mean, th- those 90 staff weren't all chefs, obviously, that was the whole company, but um, to be managing that many chefs and uh, venues and menus was <laughs> uh, a pretty pretty daunting task and I, I learned I a lot about running a business and that's how we were able to move forward and I guess have the confidence to stick our necks out and do it ourselves. Where did it all start for you, that the interest in food? I was 17 years old and I jumped in a kitchen and uh, as a kitchen hand. This was back in Mudgee and um, I just didn't leave. I, I just loved it. I loved, the, I loved the, uh, the pace and the energy and I think just that, that sense of accomplishment of, I, I, you know, I was doing dishes and then progressed on to sort of, what at the time was entrees and desserts is how you know how it used to happen when you were working in a place that served served three or four courses, um, and I just yeah I love the pace, uh, the camaraderie and the the environment and the sort of sense of accomplishment of getting through a service, and then having to get back in there and do it all again, um, and definitely just suited my personality, you know, to a T. And I, I've I've never done anything else. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 38, so yeah, 21 years. Well, how does a teenager in Mudgee that's washing dishes end up really pushing the culinary boundaries and, you know, tr- deliberately trying to make things a little bit weird uh, for the diner in, in, in Wollongong? Well, I think that's just been a progression of um, our restaurant um, and the people of been lucky enough to work around down here who, who share the same thoughts 
is me on food. Um, definitely my old sous chef, um, Lewis, he was with me for a while. Louis started his apprenticeship with me at Lee and me when he was 15 and he's then he went on to work. Oh, he worked at a bunch of restaurants in um, Copenhagen, uh, like a bunch of Michelin star places over there. He was over there for a couple of years. Then he came back here and was at Biota for a while when they were open and then he came to us. So having him on the team to really share a bit of the um, creative momentum uh, was really helpful. Um, but, yeah, just I think just a progression of going down rabbit holes, <laughs> whether it be, you know, fer- ferments, misos, um, and just a genuine love of good produce, good interesting produce and having access to that in Australia. We've got so many, so many amazing things to cook with. Um, I think we just love we love weird cuts of meat and we love figuring out what to do with them and, and different ways to cook with them. And that's, that's definitely been how, um, I guess my way of thinking in cooking and the, like, and that's how the restaurants definitely progressed is us just trying to get better all the time and, um, thinking, okay, how can we make this better? I mean, it's, it's hard to, because you, we are, restricted somewhat to a price point down here in a sense we don't want to price ourselves out of the market but we also really want the place to still be accessible we don't want people to to not be able to afford to come even if it is only once a year for them um but we also you know we we need to be able to buy the produce we want to buy which is ever increasing in price um but that's how the restaurant and yeah, my personal sort of journey over the last five years, that's how we've gotten to where we are. Um, and, yeah, as I said, I think just just really lucky to have good people around me and um, great people on the floor as well uh, pushing our, you know, wine program forward. Um, and all of that coming together, I guess it takes time though, doesn't it? Any any restaurant, I think, um, opened the way we, we opened. Um it's gonna it's gonna change and move forward and, and if it's not changing and moving forward then I I think it's then kind of run its course for me. That's <laughs> that's that's my way of thinking. Um, so we're always pushing. <laughs> well, well Babyface Kitchen really does push the boundaries, but you've also got two smoking barrels, which is a very, very different proposition. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well that's the um that's the idea um, of the place. We have, we don't wanna have Wollongong, you know, I don't think it's not really big enough to have two of two very similar things um, or two things. We didn't want to have two things at the same price point. Um, and two smoking barrels was, well, I mean, it started at the same time. Um, it started from a tiny little Yoda Wichita offset smoker that we, we bought from Nicholson and Savile that, that they, they got out from um, America for us um, and then progressed to a one-ton offset smoker made by Radar Hill here in Australia. Um, but the idea, yeah, the idea is definitely what you said. We've got two very different price points and one place is American barbecue. It's brisket and beef short ribs and smoked pork shoulder and burgers pretty much, fried chicken and and burgers. And um, 
tins of beer and <laughs> that's that pretty much sums it up but this you know the service the service is great down there um we also have a food truck that goes along with it um that's really well set up and that operates about four days a week um uh, and we do i'm not sure how many but we do a lot of weddings um and different catering things each year so two smoking barrels is um is definitely a massive part, um, if not the bigger part of Burnsbury hospitality. Um, and my brother-in-law, Gav, he looks after all that. He does all the food uh, down there along with uh, his, he's got a sous chef down there, Dan, um, who does the day-to-day running when Gav, Gav does all the driving. Um, the food truck's like a two and a half ton towable food trailer. So it's, it's definitely a, a bit of responsibility to be running around in that thing. <laughs> and it's also the, the barbecue's damn hard work. It's labor intensive. Uh, Gav starts very early in the morning and finishes late at night. So I think it's, uh, it's definitely something that the owner, <laughs> the owner has to take a bit of responsibility for if you want to own a barbecue joint. <laughs> it's, it's hard work. Tell us a bit about American barbecue because it's really based on that sort of low and slow cooking. Is it, What was the challenges in getting that up and running and getting it spot on? Well, I think we started, again, that was like five years ago. Um, so it was pretty new, pretty new to Australia um, as well at that time. And then it became, became a bit of a craze, I think, with all the TV shows. I first ate barbecue in North Carolina uh, at a place called Allen and Sons when I was over there. Um, I traveled through America and drove from, um, we drove from I think Miami or down south there all the way up to um, Raleigh and there's a lot of barbecue through there. And um, I just really love the, uh, I love the process Um and the time that goes into it, and it's pretty hard to get right. I think there's just there's definitely a level of um, skill, definitely on a commercial scale, when you're cooking. I mean, Gav has taken it to a whole other level than what I have anything to do with. He's yeah, he's I claim no responsibility for what he gets up to down there. He's cooking gargantuan amounts of <laughs> brisket and pork and ribs every day. Um, so they're on yeah, they're on a pretty tight schedule with with their capacity down there. But we just, we really just love um, the end result you get. I think it's, it's super unique. It's not like when you have a smoked ham or smoked chicken, anything that's been cold smoked, it's really not comparable. You've got that, that meat cooked at 105 Celsius for such a long time and the fats caramelize and the meat just goes to a whole nother level of, of tenderness when you get it right, of course. Um, and yeah, the flavor, it doesn't, it's definitely a little bit smoky, but if you use good, um, Australian hardwood, like we do, if you get the right timber and, and if you burn it just right, then you get a pretty amazing result with that, with those subtle smoke on it rather than the, um, the bad white smoke that you see people that <laughs> don't really know what they're doing, <laughs> cooking meat over. <laughs> We've spoken to some regional operators who've uh, been experiencing a real boom. You're only, as you said earlier, only about an hour and 10 from George Street in Sydney. 
uh, on a good day with traffic. Uh, how, how important is the sort of out-of-town crowd for a restaurant like yours? And, and what's this period been like in regards to clientele from out of town? Well, since the, since we reopened, um, I think it was June when we were actually allowed to reopen to, to guests. Um, but we've consistently never been busier where uh, we were book we were turning we were turning bookings away last night um, on a Wednesday night you know because we just can't fit uh, can't fit everyone um, and where we are at reduced capacity to what we used to be but in saying that we've we've also increased our price and changed our offering um, and now so now we're kind of happy with the amount of tables we have in the restaurant anyway it gives the guests a bit more space um, so we've been yeah consistently busier which is obviously great for business um and we've definitely seen we have a lot of guests yeah come down drive down from sydney for the night and have dinner which i find super flattering um there's so many good restaurants in sydney that that i love to go up and eat at um i guess they've got access to them you know more consistently but then they drive down here yeah to have dinner at babyface which is really like it's lovely um and we're we're stoked to have those people, and we really try to make make a massive effort to send them, you know, little extras or whatever. That we've always got extra bits floating around for when uh, hospo guests come in, um, and things we might we do a la carte on Wednesday and Thursday nights now. Uh, set menu only Saturday, Saturday, uh, sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but we always try to have little extra things floating around. So if we do have people that have travelled or, or VIPs in the restaurant, we can send them some extra stuff. Um, but I think it's Wollongong's a tough one because I think people from Sydney tend to drive straight past and head down to that Ulladulla, Milton, Mollymook area um, in previous experience. We're definitely seeing a bit more of it now. Um, and I would love to see even more of it because you can definitely make a weekend of it down here now with a couple of plate, nice places to, to go out and um, some really good small bars to drink at. Um, so hopefully, I mean, last summer we were down about 30% um, from the previous two summers just because of the bushfires. No, we didn't even have... We didn't even have fires here, but I mean, this Wollongong was covered in smoke for two months. I mean, as a lot of other places were, we were, we were really lucky. We didn't actually have, we weren't bushfire affected um, per se here, but I guess as a flow on effect, we were. Um, but so, yeah, hopefully this summer we see the next, even the next two months past the end of school holidays, you know, through, through to March, those warmer months. Hopefully Wollongong and um, the further south coast that really, really was devastated by the bushfires. Hopefully everyone can have have a really good few months and um, you know push push into next year better than ever, better and stronger than ever, and being able to you know progress their restaurants because of it. Um, because that's definitely what uh, areas like anywhere south of here, right down to. You know, I've got friends down in um, Marimbula around that area down there and, and even like 
they all need they all need the business, you know, <laughs> and they need a few a few good months to really really get back to where they were. You mentioned you've made changes to the menu and the structure and the pricing. Is that something that's going to continue uh, beyond this period of time when restrictions ease? Yeah, definitely, definitely. We've we've gone to as I said a minute ago, set menu Friday, Saturday, and Sunday set menu only. We've always wanted to do that. We were just a little bit unsure. We, were, we always offered a la carte and set menu, which was a massive challenge for both the kitchen and the floor. Um, when we're trying to, trying to do bigger numbers, um, obviously because the spend's a bit lower. So it, we're, we're a better restaurant than we were on Friday and Saturday nights. I mean, we definitely were a good restaurant, but we are a better restaurant now um, doing, doing smaller covers um but it's allowed us to do things in the kitchen at certain times through service and be a lot more structured and um you know things going on the table exactly when we want them to and um put things on the menu that we just we just couldn't have done before um because obviously the prep's more focused to less dishes and um so that's definitely not going to cha- going to change. We do like having that Wednesday Thursday a la carte offering. Um, we do have diehard regulars that only come in for a la carte because there's certain things on that menu that they just <laughs> they just have been eating for years and and love. So we don't. And I, I said before, it allows people that don't want to come in and spend a hundred dollars on food and then you know seventy dollars on a on a beverage pairing on Friday and Saturday, they can come in on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, they can sit at the bar and just have some snacks and a couple of glasses of wine. And we, we don't want to lose that. Um, I think it's part of our identity in this area. And, um, and we don't want to, um, yeah, we don't want to change that ever. So I think we'll always have a couple of the nights of the couple of nights of the week where we have that a la carte offering as well. You're Restaurants are a real family affair and very hands-on um, and you're incredibly busy but you, you had that chance to sort of relax and step back and get some time off and have a break. Has that break changed the way you see your role and the way that you guys operate as a business? It's definitely changed the latter, like the, the way we operate um, as a business. I think it's changed the way we operate logistically with staffing um, etc. We've tried to simplify things a bit um, and lower our overheads a little bit because obviously that's a massive part of you know our, our outgoings need to be and they need to be in the right spot and we, we it made us rethink all that. Um, I, I definitely it definitely didn't change our personal roles within the business. I still do the same thing. Um, my wife Jen. She takes care of our um, all our bookkeeping, basically. Like we don't have a bookkeeper. Jen does does all our back of house wages, uh, payroll, yeah, uh, and, and everything. And she's she's a real whiz at that. So we're, we're really lucky in that sense. Um, she's also decided through lockdown that she wanted to study again. So she's doing an MBA at the moment. <laughs> so she's running back a house for two businesses wow. and doing a master's at the same time. So she's insane. Um, <laughs> but super, super, super proud of her for that. Um, and then, yeah, Gav, Gav's 
super busy. Cle- busy. Um, he's just really hands-on with the barbecue and the and the running of the food trucks, and that that hasn't changed um, post lockdown. But um, yeah, it definitely made us sit down and really go through everything with a fine tooth comb, um, and we definitely had to think about um, what you know if, if this happens again what what would we do um and how could we how could we make things more viable uh without people sitting in the restaurant so that was pretty interesting um our wine shop worked really well and we've got a lot of unique little um products that we make in the kitchen that we can um definitely sell if this was to happen again so it it made us develop a plan for if and when, you know, I, I feel like maybe this is going to happen again at some point. Um, I think, I think a lot of people feel that way now. Um, so I think it's smart if you want to be a restaurant owner. You know, we all shouldn't fall on our faces after having to be closed for a couple of weeks. Like <laughs> we should be able to do that and confidently have enough money to reopen and. The sad reality is that, that 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 wasn't the case for some people. Um, yeah, which, you know, it is a sad reality, but it's definitely, I think, if anything, I'd like to think that people have become more accepting of, of us naming our terms as restaurant owners. Um, we've really, like, we were so lucky here with the support we received uh, through, through all that. Um, but yeah, in reopening, our role stayed the same, but we've definitely changed our, our way of thinking a bit. Definitely. <laughs> I don't think we had a choice. As you mentioned a bit earlier, the bushfires really impacted on the hospitality sector last summer. Um, we just jumped into summer again a year later after a hell of a year. But what are you hopeful this, this summer? I just want to see, I mean, I touched on it a minute ago, but I just, yeah, really want to see um, good consistency like within Wollongong. Um, it's a crazy, like crazy um, growing like period, like the growth period down here, the amount of apartments. I don't know who's living in all these things. It's insane. Like I look out my window at the moment and we've had, I can see there's four, 20 plus story apartments like that have gone up in the last 18 months that I'm just looking at out, out my window. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of growth down here. Um, and we just, we want to see constant growth in the area, like not only in the population, but in people actually wanting to come here and dine and take, take the venue seriously down here. Um, we are we are regional. It's it's such a weird, you know. We've got the Southern Highlands an hour away from us, which is considered very regional. And then we're this regional city that kind of sits in, I feel like a bit of a bit of no man's land. Um, when you know when it, when it comes to reviews and um, a bit of publicity, it's we've been. I mean, we've been lucky enough to have. People like Mike Benny and Lou Dowling from PNV and Giorgio Di Maria and so many wonderful 
collaborations, restaurants like Pilot in Canberra and Love Tilly Divine. We've done so many wonderful collaborations with people that have helped put our name out there. Um, and, and I just love to see through through this period where we do have an opportunity to have more guests from the city coming down um, to Wollongong in particular. Um, just really want to see it help put us all on the map a little bit more. Um, and I think we've got a unique opportunity at the moment with no international travel to really um, make that happen. Well, Andy, I hope it does happen. Um, and, and you're right, it's not very far away, Wollongong, and it's, got, it's actually quite a big city with a lot to offer and um, some pretty amazing beaches as well. It's not a bad spot at all. Uh, mate, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds um, to share your story. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, man. Lovely to chat. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.